the free for all roundtable brought to you by lexus avon canada's newest lexus dealer near canada's wonderland in the maple auto mall luxury is closer than you think round one on round one deb hutton former advisor to two ontario premiers pavan brach is a serial entrepreneur in marketing tech and real estate development jerry agar from the jerry agar show 10 to noon right here on the mighty 1010 good morning everybody and let's start with this business of Stellantis bringing in as many as 1,600 workers from South Korea in order to get that plant in Windsor going. Um, I, you know, Deb Hutton, I'll start with you on this one. Am I alone in finding this to be an outrageous situation? No, not at all. And it also gives me the opportunity to say how much I hate corporate welfare. And this is one of the problems with it. Listen, I'm not usually someone who believes we need to if even if it's government funding, for example, you know, to buy our subway cars from Ontario or or that we have to force certain products to come from Ontario. But when it comes to the amount of money that all governments are putting into this and we're talking not, you know, a few management jobs, which I understand, but 1600 well-paying jobs offshore this is so unbelievably unacceptable. And maybe the federal government can add something to their economic statement today because they sure as hell should. Pavan, you've worked in tech. I mean, the company insists this is proprietary stuff that they need to protect. So that's why they need to bring some of their own people in from Korea. They also insist that because they've started up a plant like this elsewhere, they'd be better to be the people who do it here. I just can't believe there aren't Canadians who either A, can do the work or B, can be trained to do the work. No, absolutely right. Uh, there's always there will always be a percentage of people that are required that are experts globally, and you know I can understand five, ten, a hundred maybe uh, for for a short term contract, but certainly not. And I would you know I would absolutely echo what what Deb said. I mean, this is Canada. We you know we used to have Nortel, we used to have BlackBerry. We have some of the smartest people in the world in this sector. But we just can't seem to get our stuff right beyond, uh, you know, say, taking our raw materials and we'll come here, come here and we'll give you billions of dollars. And then when it comes to executing, getting jobs for Canadians, uh, you know, we're screwing that up completely. And, you know, my question, John, would be, where's Bubbles? Uh, where is Philippe Champagne? I mean, this is the guy that said, I talk to these guys every day. The CEO calls me, they text me, you know, I'm the guy that's fighting for jobs for Canadians, but he's completely, completely absent from this, uh, this situation. And we're buying jobs at this point because the liberal government really has neglected to foster innovation in Canada for the last eight years. Jerry Agar, Bubbles would be the uh, industry minister, and uh, I can't be the only person when Pavan said that. I was thinking of the trailer park boys. Yeah, that's anyway. what I thought of, too. I thought, what's he got to do with this? <laughs> Philippe, Philippe. But you know what? I don't think he'd do a worse job. This is such an egregious example of corporate welfare, as Deb pointed out. How much money did Solantis make in 2022? Oh, turns out I looked it up. $22 billion in profit. What about Volkswagen? $33 billion in profit. I'm the last guy to complain about profit. Profit is a good thing. But the point is, they don't need our help. They can and they would build these plants on their own if they couldn't hoodwink politicians into giving other people's money to them. The whole thing is a disaster. And it's not going to get better, John. It's going to continue to bring us announcements like, oh, it's going to be $13 billion. Oh, I'm sorry, it's going to be $16 billion. It's going to be thousands of jobs for Canadians. Oh, sorry, it's 1,600 South Koreans. How, how, when's the next piece? of bad news. 
I guess we'll find out. Doug Ford under fire from the opposition over not holding an inquiry, or not an inquiry, but not holding public hearings on the Greenbelt Protection Law. Uh, Jerry, I would tend to agree with the Premier. He says most Ontarians don't give two hoots about that. I don't know that we need to have public hearings about not doing something. Well, public hearings are largely attended by uh, cranks and union members. I mean, the average person has something else to do. Deb Hutton? Yeah, I, I'm never a fan of these sort of pro forma processes because all they do is waste time and delay inevitable decisions. The Premier has reversed uh, the uh, original decision on the Greenbelt, and I, I think enough said on it. Poppin Branch, do you think we need hearings? No, it's over. I think uh, he, he's he's done the correct thing now in, in reversing it. Uh, you know, certainly these things need to be managed in a much more open way, but I don't think public hearings are the way to go. I think everyone's had a chance to check out uh, Marcus G's feature in the Globe and Mail today all about the city of London, Ontario, and how effectively they're enabling homeless encampments. They will insist that this is just so people don't end up in trouble or lose their lives between now and whenever we find a solution. But Pavan, it seems counterintuitive. It's wrong on every level. I mean, it's very kind and, and thoughtful. But if if we as a country that's 85% vacant cannot handle housing uh, folks, you know, I, I don't know where what we're doing. <laughs> it's just kind of, it's kind of another, uh, another uh, extension of how we can't even manage uh, bringing jobs to Canadians. So, you know, it, this is not a city issue. This is the biggest issue. The taxpayers have a right to use their parks and streets and safety. And I think the same taxpayers want their federal and provincial governments to take responsibility for health care, mental health, addictions and housing. Uh, and, you know, we've got to stop them from just roaming into town and cutting ribbons and making announcements and then reannouncing. The federal and provincial government has to find a way to deal with these issues because it's it's really a complete mess and it's completely unfair to the families who want to use those parks. Well, Jerry Hagar, it's basically what, you know, confirming that we're going to have people camped out in our parks for the for as long as they want to stay, I guess. How is it caring to enable people to live in tents with the oncoming Canadian winter? I mean, uh, it's going to get a lot colder and I wouldn't want to be in a tent out there right now. I have tents. I have several of them. There's a reason that they're in storage at the moment, <laughs> because this is not a good time to be trying to live in a tent. I see this as the same as the way we are enabling people in the use of drugs as opposed to trying to get them off drugs. The solution is to not enable the problem. Deb Hutton, does London have uh, a good idea? Uh, right motive, absolutely bad idea. I agree with everything Pavan and Jerry said. Like imagine if the city workers of London spent time trying to facilitate a temporary shelter, look for a spot for these folks for the winter, instead of installing toilets and collecting garbage on the site. This is so wrong. And again, I don't question their motive, but man, the policy is bad. Bad Boy Furniture is going to have a liquidation sale. And then I guess it joins a lot of other retail names on the scrap heap. Are you sorry to see it go, Pavan? <laughs> I haven't uh, I haven't spent a lot of money there unfortunately but uh you know what? It, it it may actually end up being a restructuring. So I'm, I'm just trying to read between the lines, and it does sound like there's a possibility that after they, they do the uh, the bankruptcy proceeding that they may come out of it uh, with some stores that are viable. And so so let's see. Maybe uh, maybe our era angst at the loss of the brand is a little premature. Okay, Deb, I don't want to hex them or anything, but it's pretty hard to turn around a retail operation. 
Yeah, and it really felt like they hadn't kept up with the times. I mean, I was a huge Mel Husband fan, um, you know, fantastic brand, along with some of the other iconic stores in the city of Toronto. But I personally hadn't set foot in a store in 20 years. And it just felt like the, you know, the ads that appealed to us 20 years ago were still the ads they were playing today. So I don't think this is a massive shock, particularly as competition has increased not only in, in bricks and mortar stores, but online. And Jerry Yeager, you know, I'm with Deb, but not only have I not been into a bad boy in 20 years, I've never been inside a bad boy. So, you know, for me, it's an iconic thing. I know the commercials. I know the brand. I knew Mel Lastman. But, you know, here we are. Well, when I first moved here, we bought a couple of beds, uh, one for my son, one for a daughter. Uh, and to be honest with you, I can't remember where we bought them. So maybe I have been in a bad boy. I mean, it was new. And so I wasn't that familiar with various locations. I always feel bad for any business that goes down. Um, there's a lot of people hurt. They lose their jobs, etc. If, as Pavan is suggesting, it's a restructure, maybe I'll shop there in the future. But I certainly wouldn't give them a deposit on anything. We spoke with a representative of Oxfam this morning about their latest report that suggests the 1% of the uh, world's population are responsible for as much of climate change as 66% of the people who are on the bottom. Uh, Deb Hutton, your thoughts? I call crap on this, John. <laughs> I, that the, the people who live on the bridal path are somehow more polluting than China and India. I mean, it's just ridiculous. This All is right. a this is a um, you know semi annual hate the rich report that has come out. If in fact the rich are investing in businesses that uh, Oxfam doesn't like, they're doing so because the public embraces those businesses. Note in the report that they said of 125 billionaires they studied, only one of those billionaires invested in renewable energy. Well, billionaires know where to invest their money. So what that tells you is renewable energy might not be uh, such a great business if it isn't propped up by government. So this is just a cobbled together. Let's see if we can find a way to blame the rich because that's what we like to do. Okay, Pavan, you're a farmer. You got a <laughs> pony in this? Well, yeah, we're uh, we're we're waiting for the uh, the removal of the carbon taxes for farmers. But no, listen. I, I first of all, I'm confused. When did Oxfam get into the environmental business? Uh, and secondly, you know, there are a lot, not all, but there are a lot of the super rich like Bill Gates who are who are actually spending millions of dollars for carbon offsets to, to you know, to kind of make up for the flights all over the world, etc. So I don't know that, uh, but I'm not here to defend the rich or the super rich. I, I think the fundamental issue still is, and I think all environmental organizations are missing the, the, the main point, which is it's coal and it's being burnt, as, as, as suggested by Deb, in countries primarily like India and China. It's burning coal, which is driving so much of the carbon that we have in our environment. And, and yet we've got environmental groups who are attacking anybody who attempts to substitute the, the coal burning with natural gas or other cleaner forms of, of, of energy in the short term. So I think they've completely missed the mark. I don't think they have a mandate to talk about pollution, frankly. And I think coal is the number one target and should be our, our goal of eliminating that by 2030. Is there a downside to amending auto insurance in the province of Ontario to allow people to forgo a portion of it. Um, this portion would be, for example, you have a car that isn't really worth anything, so you pay a lower premium, and if somebody creams you, then you just, you know, write the whole thing off. Deb, it will lower premiums for those who like to take that kind of risk. 
Yeah, I think as long as it is very clear what someone's doing and and they aren't doing it out of desperation because of the affordability crisis in insurance rates, um, I always think choice is good. And if you want to roll the dice, just as some people do on other forms of insurance, then then that is your choice. I'd also, though, make the pitch that we move more quickly on insurance companies that refuse when you've had a few claims like theft to insure people because we pay a lot in premiums. We should be covered. Couldn't be talking about somebody we know, could we? <laughs> sure can. <laughs> How much do you have to pay a month? Uh, so I do it by the year. Okay. And we're at 3500 for a single vehicle. But my bigger issue is my insurer that I had for 30 years, relatively claims free, refused to insure my third car after two got stolen. That's well, my issue. From the get-go, Ontario insurance was prohibitively expensive. When That's I moved insane. here, well, I moved here from Illinois, and I started making calls to get insurance for the car. And I'm not kidding. The first quote that I got, I said to the lady, maybe you misunderstand. I'm not trying to rebuy the car. I already own it. Yeah, when I first got here in Quebec, I was paying $600 a year for insurance. And as soon as I arrived here, it was $1,400. Yeah. And why? I don't know. I mean, there's a, right now, I think the cause is too much fraud, too much theft. Could we too think of theft. a suitable punishment for these car theft rings when we catch them? What do you have in mind? <laughs> well, I think turning big rocks into little rocks for about 20 years. Okay. Uh, thanks to Pavan Brach, Deb Hutton, and Jerry Agar. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.